You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we'll be talking about some games that we recently played, and some upcoming games, and our top three co-op games. This is episode 31, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. All right, so have you heard of the sale from Asmodee, Christo? It's in North America. Buy two, get one free. Yep, I heard about it. It's like Catan, Splendor, Carcassonne, Mysterium, Small World, Ticket to Ride. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about right, yep. So the, so the fellas at the board game store, when I was there, were telling me about it, and I said, yeah, I'm good. And they're like, oh, you probably hate all these games. And I was like, is that is that how I come off? Do I do I come off pretentious like a pretentious gamer? I'm like, no, nah, I hate those games. I actually don't hate these games. Maybe prefer not to play them. But I mean, Carcassonne and Catan. I mean, that's like the reason why we have Euro games in the states. How could you hate those games? You know? Uh yeah. I don't think I hate them either. I'm just kind of a little bit just kind of over them. I guess. Yeah, in a way. they're a little dated and. Um, they're a little obsolete for me. I mean, they're great introductory games, but I feel like I have more introductory games that I would rather introduce players to than the older stuff. Yeah, I think I'll play them if there's a group that wants to play sure. them, but I probably wouldn't really suggest any of them, to be honest, or hardly any. I don't know if um, I looked at the list and I was like, yeah, this is not for me. The sale is not for me. Yeah, yeah, same. I got excited for a minute until I saw the list. Mysterium, I have it, but Mysterium's fine to play every once in a while. Yep. Um, it's the new Seven Wonders, but it's just, that's just like cosmetic. Yeah, I never really got into the old Seven Wonders to begin with, so I'm not sure what they changed. I'm actually kind of slightly curious, I guess, but I don't think they're going to change fundamentally how the game plays, so it's no. going to be just fine, probably. I think uh, I think they revised the rules, so cer certain things are a little bit clearer, but no change to the rules, that's for sure. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a very highly missed rule where you can't draft the same exact card that you already own. That's that's missed very often. Huh. And if you're going for science, those science cards, that's like, yeah, that would be horrible. That would be it would kill the game because then because you know you have to collect a certain amount of science cards and you get a ton of points for them. So you're trying to look for yep. different ones, yeah. Anyway, yeah, there are some games which allow you to have the same card, some which don't. And actually, yeah. the funniest thing is when it's a mix of both. I think I've seen that before as well. Like certain scoring cards can only you can only have one copy, but engine cards it's fine. There, uh, there was a uh, game like yeah. that, and I can't remember which one it was that I played recently, but that was kind of funny. All right, well, let's talk about some games that we've played. All right, um, actually, I'm gonna do something kind of different this week i guess because i'll talk about some solo games that i've played which is kind of unique uh, i did play some new mostly actually two-player games over the last couple of weeks uh, we had a nice weekend of games last week but i'll just talk about them some other time 
Uh, for now, I wanted to talk about a game that I've played like six or seven times now, uh, quite a bit actually, called Kepler 3042. Uh, that's a game that's not really a solo game. It's a two, three, four player game, but it can be played solo and it actually has a pretty good variant, I think. Uh, not a very you don't really see it very frequently mentioned as a solo game, but I think it works really well. Uh, what's the game? The game is kind of a 3x game, I guess you could say, because it's uh, expand, explore, whatever, no, extermin no exterminate. There's no combat, but uh, it's about colonizing planets uh, near the uh, nearest stars, I guess, to the solar system. So it's in the distant future where you, we send ships and they colonize planets. Um, what is the game really? It's kind of a resource management game actually. Uh, some action selection, but the only action selection really is uh, you cannot repeat the last action you did. Other than that, it's completely open. And kind of, uh, I'm, I've never really played the multiplayer game, but I think it's going to be pretty solitaire, uh, other than maybe racing for some planets and there's this uh, thing where there's a track where whoever's the highest gets a victory point once in a while. But I think it works really well because it's uh, is a solo game because it, the puzzle is really interesting. Um, and it probably would be kind of solitary even with multiple people. Uh, the game is kind of like a scenario game, so to speak, but... The scenario is just different goals, so they kind of give you different goals and they expect a higher score uh, for more goals, which the goals themselves give you some points. And it's basically kind of like, here are, your, here are some new goals to achieve, and then you better get points, and then there are some more goals, and you better get some more points, and so forth. And it makes it kind of interesting to be going for different things. The game does play very kind of similarly uh, from play to play but um it's still i'm still kind of having a lot of fun with it i actually had a really good game last time uh where i almost want to kind of like take a break a little bit and just kind of be like yeah i had a really good game <laughs> bask in your glory so good yeah kind of bask in the glory but yeah it's um the <clears throat> uh, people almost say it's like a hard sci-fi game i think that's kind of hilarious but it is kind of a very uh, minimal game in the way that kind of Cooper Island is. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit, but without the um, blockingness of the action spaces. Uh, even in a multiplayer game, anyone can do anything they want. Like I say, the only thing is racing for these tracks and planets. But um why i say it's like cooper island is because it's very very tight uh the resort like at the first play it's not really obvious how the game plays but uh there's also this kind of loan mechanic and at first you're kind of like well what does it matter because what you give up is actually your maximum capacity of these resources you can hold so at the first game you're just kind of like well who cares you know but then you start producing a lot of resources and you hit the limit and you kind of understand how it works but um, it's a very tight game where you should plan very carefully what you're doing. Also, not very many actions. I think Cooper Island's like 12 or something or very few. This one is 16. It's basically 16 every time. There's no 
way for it to not be 16. It's a very like set game. And I actually kind of like the way that uh, there's a you can see the end coming kind of that's always a, a thing that i like in games uh just kind of really fun puzzle actually it's uh, kind of like what i wanted otis to be maybe so it's kind of uh the same kind of feeling of very carefully arranging things to happen in a certain sequence but without the trolliness of things shifting around because other people chose things and um just with that kind of the random pulls of those contracts. But yeah, no, I've I've had a lot of fun with uh, Kepler 342 actually, and I'm looking forward to playing it with other people someday. I don't know if I'm gonna if people are gonna like it so much because it is a very kind of peculiar game, and even people who play it solo are like they're just. Uh, I was looking at some comments of people who have played it or whatever, and they're just like, I pull it out once in a while. It's not a game you can play every day. So I kind of agree. But I think if you like resource management and like the theme of exploring space and kind of a very tight resource puzzle with very kind of few actions, relatively speaking, um, I think it's a really good game. So that's Kepler 3042. Yeah, according to BGG, the mechanisms listed is grid movement and solo solitaire game. So if you're not playing it solo, you're just moving on a grid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, I don't know if it's as much about moving on a grid. Actually, a lot of the, a lot of the time in the game, you're just sitting there. There's not much moving around. Uh, you're just producing resources and upgrading your technology and like terraforming planets. And none of these things require ships. And actually, the ships are kind of like very carefully timed. Usually you start with two and then you send three more because the most you can have in the game is five planets altogether. So there's not, for a space game, there's kind of not much flying around in space, actually. It's kind of very, uh, very careful once in a while. You send the ship out and that's about it, mm. game. So kind of weird. All right. Uh, I'm going to talk about Hagikori, which is a trick-taking game. It is uh, from... Studio H came out this year, three to five players. Uh, it's really simple as far as trick-taking goes. One person leads, and if that person leads with one out of the two suits, which is villagers and samurai, if they lead with samurai, then you have to follow samurai. Samurai is simply the higher-valued cards in the game, and the villagers, which are blue, are the lower-valued cards in the game. And whoever t whoever plays the highest card takes the trick. There's old fools that are in the game that are also samurai cards. If they're played by themselves, their value is zero. But if there's multiple play, then the last played will be trump and win the trick. The interesting part about the game is these little tiles that come in the game. All right, And you are in player order deciding if you're going to use one. You may use one each round. In the beginning of the round, you'll look at your hand of cards, and then you'll use one of these tiles. So the tiles range from doubling your points, maybe if you have a good hand, looking at an opponent's hand, or in this pile of cards that are the leftover cards from after the deal. Uh, there's, if you get, I think it's like four villagers, you get plus two points. You want points. Each trick you win in a round is worth one point. It's a pretty low-scoring game. Um, and that's pretty much it. 
you'll play a certain amount of rounds and you see who wins. Uh, it's pretty straightforward and it's pretty simple. It was enjoyable. You only have five cards in your hand. I think four cards if you're playing a higher player count. Uh, we played four and it was really simplistic and is really strange to just play a trick-taking game with only five cards. There's not a lot of management going on there. But I said previously in our upcoming games, uh, I mentioned this one and I was worried about those tiles. Like look at somebody else's hand or look at the pile of cards that are in the middle or switch with a pile of cards in the middle. Well, it makes sense because the old fool is really important in the game. If you have one or two, you want to see if other players have it as well. There's only three in the game. So if you have two, you know that one's floating out there. So the best, I think the best strategy in that case to do is to look in the middle pile to see if that's it, if it's in there. Because if it is, now you know those are going to be worth zero to you. If it's not in there, then some player has it and you're kind of waiting for them to play it so you could play yours. Uh, that's all that tile is really good for, this the switch, the switcheroo. Uh, it's interesting because you're trying to think about the timing of playing these tiles. If the tiles weren't in the game... I mean, it would be it'd be an awful game. But the tiles do make it a little bit interesting. I've only played it once, so uh, it was just okay. The other players that I played it with liked it a lot, but I, I don't know. I, I have to play it more, but I'm not that interested in playing it that much. So I guess I don't like it that much. It's just really <laughs> simplistic. BGG says that the weight is 1.00 out of 5. One that's the minimum yeah yeah and shoots and ladders is 1.05 <laughs> that's not correct <laughs> like shoots and ladders is not a more complex game than this there's no way you're just moving and rolling dice right and shoots and ladders there's no way it's more yeah. complex than that no i think people probably just like overestimated uh their ratings and probably like five people have rated it is my guess or maybe even less like maybe one person or something yeah i mean it, the age range says 10 plus but it's but it's a weight of one <laughs> <laughs> uh it's really it's really short and like I said, it's really simplistic. So I don't know if you're if you're into trick taking games like I am, you might want to try it. I might discourage people from buying it though, because it was it was just it was just okay. That's all. That's all I got to say about it. And that's uh, Hagikori. Yeah, I've wanted to try it, and we were gonna play it last week, but we didn't have enough time. So someday it will happen. I'm just kind of curious. Um. Okay, so the other solo game that I'm going to talk about is Circadian's First Light. I initially read the rules to hopefully play it with other people, but then I saw that there's a solo variant, and again, the solo variant is pretty good. Actually, that game, almost I wonder, um, I wondered after playing it like four, four times or something, five times, by myself, uh, if I'm going to dislike it with people, because again, it's a type of game where it seems pretty tight as far as placement uh, it's a dice placement game so um, there are certain places where you can go to do things uh, generally produce resources um, and there's a bunch of places where you can actually go to kind of 
get points. And the unique thing about the gaming, I guess, is uh, I feel like it's pretty scripted, but uh, you kind of build up uh, dice. Uh, there's a maximum limit of five, so you can't build infinitely, but you build up kind of an engine, and then you consume that engine for points, and uh, the consumption kind of kills your engine because you the dice never come back if you send them for points. So you kind of build up and then send a die once in a while, and by the end of the game, hopefully you just send dice for points completely just kind of cash out i guess so to speak um i have concerns about the game that it it worked out pretty well actually as far as my solo plays but i have concerns that in a multiplayer game there would be a lot of kind of lucky situations uh there are some mitigations for uh rolling numbers uh particular numbers like, if you don't want a number you rolled, but I feel like the mitigations only go so far, and I feel like higher numbers are kind of better in that game. And if you roll too many low numbers, yeah, you can still do things, it's not like it's over or something, but, uh, like I say, I feel like a person who rolled a lot of high numbers might have an advantage. Uh... The spaces also seem really ridiculously tight. Like I was looking at um, the three-player game, the setup for the three-player game. There's a way where you can uh, you kind of have an engine in front of you or a tableau in front of you. So it's a little bit like uh, Manhattan Project again. Uh, Anachrony basically have things in front of you that run. Some of them require dice, some of them don't require dice, so they just kind of run themselves. And to get those things, there's like one space in a three-player game. In a four-player game, there's two spaces, but in a three-player game, there's one space. So I can just picture how... Um, and the game is very kind of... A uh, lot of planning goes into it. Uh, there's shields, and before the round starts, you kind of commit to how many dice are going to the common boards and how many dice are staying to produce on your own board. And uh, I feel like if you're hoping to get something and you don't get it, it's going to be kind of a disaster for you. Uh, the, the compensation for... There's a space where you go for compensation. It's, like, really bad. So I think, basically, you better not make mistakes in that game. I was actually reading of... Um, I mean, that happens with every game. That's a Euro, I think. But uh, the, some of the online reviews were saying... Uh, some of their playthroughs were like three or four hours or something or five hours just because people are just like thinking of what if it doesn't work out, you know? Like that one space that I was talking about, for example, like what if someone goes there and blocks me? Like what else can I do with the value of die that I have? Uh, the game's actually not complicated at all except uh, that planning of... Uh, I bet it's going to be really bad in a non-solo game where uh, you you plan for spaces but you may not get them and that's just sounds kind of bad there's also some asymmetric powers which are really powerful uh but they're also kind of situational so i feel like uh, some situations might happen which favor certain people there's also events which happen and they're also can be really powerful things like certain certain spaces produce double or something or certain spaces where you usually have to pay don't have to pay as much and uh, people are saying that whoever's first player basically kind of benefits from the good events and there's also good and bad events so like the good event might happen to you but the bad event might anyway there's a bunch of things that are kind of like that in the game 
overall it's a very interesting system though and i wanted to play it with um uh, other people unfortunately i don't have the physical copy but i wanted to play on tabletop simulator with someone um hopefully we get to play it i'm just curious how it's gonna work two-player game might actually be okay and actually uh, i was looking at the recommendations and two-player game was pretty high um three four not so much uh just online and i think the reason is like i say because of the getting screwed out from spaces which you were hoping to get uh but overall pretty decent game it's by um that sj mcdonald i think is his name right um the he works with champ phillips and oh, yeah. he's he's done some uh of the north kingdom series games or whatever i think he's developed with him so that's kind of his own game um i don't know uh yeah i'll i'll play it with hopefully with uh, people and see how it is the solo game is really good though um basically you kind of the the opponent kind of blocks you randomly and most importantly blocks some of these point generation spaces that are really crucial for scoring points basically so it's kind of a timing game of trying to get some of those point scoring spaces and the scores work out really well in the end there's several stages of opponents like easy medium hard or whatever and uh you don't even have to like begin the game with i mean you should probably begin the game with like medium or whatever but uh, at the end of the game basically it's like three different ways to score is the dif difficulty so you can kind of see what how you did against easy medium hard whatever just by recalculating the score and that's kind of fun um yeah i actually i was thinking that maybe i like the solo game even better than multiplayer game with that one uh, i think it's a really good solo game uh that's circadian's first light did you say sj mcdonald uh, I think so. Yeah, that's it. I'm okay. Yeah. I saw this at the board game store today. It's actually like a smaller box than I was expecting by the the huh. look of it. The sprawl. It looks like a big sprawl, but it was like kind of heavy, so maybe it's just like kind of dense. It has like a lot of stuff in a small box. Yeah, I think they did the same thing as the uh, North Kingdom saga or whatever. Uh, it's about that size. Yeah. Yeah, I think the box is really packed with uh, stuff. And actually, I remember some people complaining that some of the pieces are really small. So there's a lot of probably small pieces in there and mm. a lot of boards. So a lot of content in the box. But yeah, interesting. I actually didn't even realize that you guys had it. Uh, I thought it was a game that you're never going to get because it's just so obscure kind of. But if you get a copy, that's interesting. Hey, Demolition Games in Salt Lake City. We got obscure games. That, yep. I'm changing the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would phrase. not expect Demolition to actually have that game, but but there you go. It's there. All right, Santa Monica is a game from AEG, published this year. Two to four drafting, I guess that collection as well. What you're trying to do is you're trying to build like the most impressive neighborhood in Southern California. Um, you have two rows. The bottom row is what you draft from. The top row is what's coming. And then you have a player board, which is basically just a beach and a street. And these cards are beaches and streets. So the streets obviously have to go on the street side of your board. And the beach has to go on the beach side. And it is um, some 
pretty simplistic things happen when you draft a card. Sometimes it comes with tourist or VIP. No, not VIP. That's the green guy you move. Uh, tourist or locals. There it is. Um, or or uh, sand dollars. It'll come with the card. Might come loaded with certain things that you take from the supply. Um, or a, a lot of times these are going to be scoring cards. Like the whole game is getting the right cards to score. So if I put, and they have like tags on them, like little icons of of sunglasses and different things like that. So one might tell me if it sits by a card that has this tag on it, then it's two points. Or you need a run of them, which means like they're going to be adjacent cards with that tag. And then there's another tile that's in the game. And I think there's three of them. I think they're double-sided. You choose one in the beginning of the game. That's going to have some extra scoring opportunities for you. And then there's also some other tiles that you put in the game that you're going to use your C dollars for, which instead of drafting the regular way, maybe you're going to draft from the back by paying for C dollars. C dollars? Why am I calling them C dollars? Sand dollars. <laughs> Sand dollars. <laughs> um, or maybe you could draft one card from the front and then switch two cards in your tableau. So basically, it's kind of like tile placement, city building, uh, drafting, set collection, and then you just score at the end of the game. Um, it sort of reminded me of walking in Burano, just sort of because it's like very similar. You're just like wanting cards adjacent to each other and such, but it's a bit different. And uh, I actually like this game. It was really simple, uh, but it, it almost, almost in the time of a filler game, uh, really easy to learn, really easy to teach. And I like the art on it a lot. I like the look of it. I like the theme. Even though it's kind of hardly there, you're trying to get these little people like either they're your VIP. So there's some asymmetry to it where your board is going to say how your VIP is going to score. Basically, he just wants to visit certain spots. And if he visits certain spots, you put these little footprint tokens down and then they're going to be worth a certain amount of points at the end of the game. Usually just one point per footprint, like one VIP needs to visit beaches only or some tags. Um, and... The other people, you're trying to move into spots. There's these little like circle spots on some of the cards that will score you points if you have certain number or colored people in them. And in at the end of the game, if they're not in a place, then you're going to get minus points per card that um, people are not in their little circle. I guess they're distressed. <laughs> but uh, it's a simple drafting game that i kind of enjoyed it's kind of a relaxing game there's not too much to think about so if you're into that sort of thing that's santa monica santa monica by aeg and you played this with me did you have thoughts on it yeah um i think it's fine actually it was kind of interesting we did very very different things last time we played and the scores were pretty close so perfectly balanced right um <laughs> i don't know no, I, I think it's a good game, actually. It's kind of weird that you like the art, because I thought the art was actually not a strong kind of suit of the game. Um, I kind of liked the Walking in Burano kind of more colorful stuff. Um, the cards seem very minimalistic to me uh, in uh, gosh, Santa Monica. Uh, it just looks like almost it has like a vibe of uh, an old computer game or something which is fine mm -hmm. it's just they they look very kind of almost lonely 
in a way like i don't know that's just kind of it just reminds me of like a lonely beach when oh i get it even with the people on it yeah there's just not much there no there's but, no people uh, on the cards unless you put the meeples on them because they're little meeples yeah. that you put on them yeah but i'm looking through it right now and you're right there's like a bench and a volleyball uh like net and there's nobody there it looks a little deserted yeah it just looks like really deserted and empty <laughs> but, but i guess uh, the meeples are supposed to fill it up yeah which the weird thing is like they are usually concentrated on like by the circle area so most cards don't really get meeples that's true um, unless you have some objective so it's kind of a weird almost like a melancholy feeling is feeling <laughs> is what i got from uh, playing the game it's just like a, a bunch of tourists all jumbled on one card and some lonely guy walking on the beach to see the waves <laughs> it's kind of maybe they designed it with feeling. COVID in mind you know yeah maybe i don't know um no the game's fine actually i i dug myself in though but it was my choice i made a really uh weird choice to basically keep all my sand dollars and uh, which meant kind of getting very l late drafting because uh, the sand dollars kind of let you draft kind of earlier. So I wanted to keep them because I got scoring cards for them, which was kind of a rough game because I still did okay, though, um, with kind of leftover cards, basically. Uh, I feel like that's kind of rough a little bit if someone's collecting sand dollars, but again, it's a decision. And yeah you just decide how to play i guess no it's it's a fine game i'm I'd, I'd play it again and yeah kind of interesting that's a really good description for the art it does look like an old video game like a computer game and maybe that's why i like it it for some reason reminded me of like fox style cartoons like bob's burgers or like simpsons too um hmm. but yeah yeah i i had that I got one of those scoring cards too for leftover sand dollars in my first game I played and I found myself like, I thought it was a pretty neat decision of like, well, I could use these uh, tiles to do better actions or I could just keep hoarding sand dollars and get a lot of points for them. So I think that's sort of the balance for him because I think that like getting, especially the one for one card, like one point per sand dollar and you could just that could be your whole game just hoarding sand dollars and it's pretty easy yeah. to get them too so i think that's the balance there is like yeah you could save them and get points for them but then you're not going to do the cool actions yeah yeah i had two cards and i think one of them was one for one the other one was one for two or something i can't remember but i got a lot of points by just hoarding them but it made for a really kind of depressing game because i had last pick of cards and basically kind of like i say just mostly leftovers <laughs> but mm -hmm. you piece together what's left and i think that's still fine did you play this a second time no okay. um I, no i only played it with you and you're the only copy that i uh i know of in our group yeah okay so that was some games that we played so now on to upcoming games All right, I I purchased a couple of uh, games recently. Uh, they're <clears throat> excuse me, blind buy purchases, which I try not to do, but one is a trick taking game, and one I'll get to. Uh, Gutama, no, I'm not pronouncing that right. Gutitama, that's it. Gutitama. The Tricky Egg Card Game. Sounds weird, right? That's because it is. 
It's from 2020, released this year from Renegade Game Studios. It's two to seven trick-taking game. It's inspired by the worldwide hit uh, from Senrio, who did like Hello Kitty. So it's a character in an animated series. Um, have you heard of this? No, actually, I'm looking at it. Yeah. Um, and no, I've never even seen. Me this. neither. I haven't either. But it's weird. Apparently, it's a worldwide hit. Guritama is a melancholy, lazy egg yolk. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's kind of ridiculous because I backed another game on Kickstarter, which is absolutely hilariously kind of very similar in a different way, though. But yeah, weird. I I looked up some of this, uh, some of the cartoons on, on YouTube. They're very short and a little comical. Uh, here's a taste of, of it. Let me see if I could get it going here. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, hilarious. Anyway, uh, it's trick-taking, you know, and I have a soft spot for trick-taking. I didn't learn my lesson from Hagakore. I had to blind purchase another trick-taking game. This one seems like it might be a little more interesting. Um, it's 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 trick taking, but it's also ladder climbing or just climbing. Um, so whoever leads, you have to, but you have a choice. This is what's interesting about it. This is what kind of caught my attention. When somebody leads, you have to play either a card that's equal to or higher than um, the highest card on the table or play your lowest card. And you could take as many tricks as you want, it doesn't matter, except for the very last trick you don't wanna take. Because if you take it, then you're getting points equal to the card that you took the last trick with. And points are bad in this game. There's two cards that have effects on them. So the highest card in the game, which is 14, if you play that, then you're gonna win the trick and you have to choose someone else to lead, so you don't get to lead. Uh, the lowest card in the game, which is a one, if you play it on the last trick, then everybody scores the card that they played. And that's it. That's really it. The The cards on it have the, the character on it saying silly things, but it seems like it might be interesting. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it, but we'll see. And that's Guditama. Uh, the second game that I blindly bought for the theme is Monster Mansion. Not Monster Mansion from 1981 or 2013. This is from 2020 from Ludanova. Um, there is like no information about this game other than like the theme. If you look on the internet, I couldn't find a review for it. There's nothing in BGG. So I'll just read the description. Uh, through original sister system of turns, players will obtain the necessary resources to hire the different monsters that come to audition. The objective is to choose well and get the right combination of characters that mean you sell tickets for your attraction as quickly as possible. Player who sells out first will be the winner. I was attracted to this game because um, the Halloween season is upon us. I try to get as many 
I guess, spooky, macabre-themed games as I can before Halloween and try to play them throughout to make it a little bit more festive. Um, And I have some, but most of them kind of let me down. This might be one that lets me down as well, but I really like, like the art in it. I like the theme of it. You know, it has this Halloween feel to it where you have a mansion card that's in front of you and it's got like jack-o'-lanterns on them and you're drafting monsters like mummies and werewolves and Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein's monster rather. And it seems kind of interesting. You're just trying to kind of set, collect and do different things to sell all your tickets before anyone else. So it could be interesting. We'll see. We'll see how both these games work because like I said, I didn't, I couldn't find anything about monster mansion and the other one was just a trick taking game so i just bought them they're both pretty cheap so anyway that's uh monster mansion uh it actually has a bgg entry now i don't know when you looked but no it so, does but like look so. at the there's no threads there's no reviews oh yeah well uh there's the rules <laughs> Usually, yeah, when there's like absolutely no information, then uh, I usually kind of read the rules actually. So, yeah, or yeah. just look at the rules. I mean, I was in store though, and I was like, oh, yeah, should yeah, I just yeah. get this? No, it's like impossible. <laughs> yeah, interesting though. No, it looks interesting. I like the art a lot. Yeah, so me I hope too. The game actually is good, but the art is really cool. So, yeah, yep, same feeling. Cool kind of Halloween game, yeah. Anyway, um, the games I'm looking forward to, uh, Brandon backed a weird cartoony game. I mean, backed, bought a weird cartoony game. Actually, I, th- I think it was on Kickstarter as well, uh, the Gudetama game or whatever. I'm actually going to check out the comics. I'm kind of curious. I've noticed actually a lot of those uh, comics kind of games lately. Basically, some comic uh, artist makes a game and publishes a Kickstarter and actually they do really well uh, most of the time. Uh, sometimes they're really kind of bad take bad games with cards where it's like, haha, you just something bad happens to you or whatever just like people get attacked and stuff. Uh, but because of the comics, I think they do really well. So I don't know if uh, hopefully there's a good game there uh, for the Gudetama thing. Um, I don't no, if uh, actually, yeah, my uh, the game that I backed, which is called Plantopia, the card game, that's also, I think, a result of um, translating some web comics, I think, to uh, card game. But the comics are not animated. I think they're just like a single panel, just very uh, straightforward. Um, I think there was an Instagram. I never actually knew that that they were a thing. Like, I'm not a fan of the comics at all. But uh, just seeing the game was just absolutely hilarious. Um, I don't know. There's just basically you should go and look at it because it's pretty hard to explain. But I think that there's just a bunch of puns, uh, humor with generally plants. Um, anyway, yeah, it, it's just it. For some reason, uh, I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Uh, it looks similar to the game I was talking about. Yeah, similar yeah. Art. That's why I was like, um, kind of very weird coincidence that we both. Uh, yeah, from got these weird games with like plants, and <laughs> the art style is very similar as well. Life of a Potato by Daryl Chow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now there's a bunch of the card descriptions are hilarious and actually the game looks like it's going to be interesting. What you're trying to do is uh, grow these plants and there's some kind of engine building as well and it sounded kind of interesting actually. 
Uh, there's a drafting mechanism, so you draft cards to kind of grow them and basically score points. And there's, uh, like I say, engine elements where the plants you have, I think, give you benefits or whatever. It sounded pretty interesting, actually. Uh, I looked at the designer's previous games, not super successful, so I, my expectations are still kind of low, but I'm hoping it's a good game. Uh, basically, what got me was kind of the the ridiculously funny, I think, puns, and the price was actually pretty good as well. So, yeah, that's Plantopia, the card game. It looks like it's uh, on it's Tabletopia. A, huh? Yeah, yeah, they usually put a lot of Kickstarters lately on, well, Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator. Mm-hmm. Uh I will probably get it in a long while, so until then, uh, there's a couple of other games that actually I'm hoping to play. Um, I guess I've been uh, reading, uh, this game has been kind of on my radar for a long time. Um, I finally read the rules for this week and I'm hoping to play it. Uh, Solarius Mission. Um, there was a Kickstarter actually for this game, I think last year, and I looked at the Kickstarter and at the time I was just kind of like, mm, just like really on the fence about it. And I think it had no exclusives or something, or um, can't remember why I ended up deciding not to back it. But I recently looked at the forums for the game because I was reading the rules and and just kind of wanted to browse the forums uh, one day. And the Kickstarter people apparently ran away with the money. <laughs> so the people who backed the second edition, which I have the first edition, which this dif- the difference is only like cosmetic stuff and clear rules. Um, they are not getting anything as of now. And it looks really bad because like uh, the designers are like apologizing because the publisher just or the company that was supposed to publish the game just kind of is not responding so it doesn't look good but uh yeah it's kind of funny because the rule book is not very good and it almost feels like they published a near prototype version of at least the rule book or something because uh some things are not like i say super clear and on the glossary the english version kind of transitions into german slow slowly towards the end of the rule book which is really awkward basically there's like entire phrases and like instead of planets it says like planetin and stuff <laughs> so, <laughs> some things that it just i feels like they just like gave up translating <laughs> towards the end of the glossary which is really really strange i don't know if i've seen that in a published game before uh overall it just looks like a ridiculously weird like i say almost like you're getting like a late stage prototype kind of a copy of the game but should be interesting it actually reminds me of uh kepler a lot because it's a very similar theme you're colonizing planets and also very similar theme you're going to planets and exploring them and whatever and producing resources uh it looks more complicated than kepler and it's uh, dice drafting it's by the designers of lagranja and uh agra actually agra um agra i never played but kind of a uh, looks kind of complicated, but I'm hoping it's going to be more approachable than it looks. Uh, some vibes of kind of Terra Mystica as well are in there. Basically, it's like a jumble of stuff. Uh, it feels like it's been influenced by several games. But the core mechanic is dice drafting, and the die you draft either produces resources or you can do the die effect. 
anyway, uh, kind of basically you uh, end up flying a ship around and I think you're colonizing planets and building space stations and whatever. There's some really interesting mechanics there, but uh, way too much to get into. So I'm looking forward to playing that shortly here. Solarius Mission, my first edition. Uh, hopefully it's going to work out fine. And I guess the third one, actually, which I'm, we're probably going to end up talking about next week anyway, is Alma Mater. Uh, we're going to play it tomorrow. And yeah, maybe I shouldn't even talk about it. I feel like we're going to play have plenty to talk about next week after we play it. But a uh, game that by the publisher of Coimbra and by the designers of Coimbra, and I'm really kind of excited to play it finally. Um, I'm glad that actually not just Brandon, but someone else has it in our group. So I'm hoping to play it quite a bit. I think it's going to be good. And uh, that's the games I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I have high hopes for Alma Mater as well. I really like that design team a lot. So yeah, hopefully it's good. Uh, I'm sure it's good. I skimmed the rules and it seems pretty cool. Components are nice. Art's nice. It's got everything for it. So we'll see. So anyway, that was some upcoming games. Now on to our top three co-op games. Co-op, if you didn't know, was short for cooperative, which means you're working together. I actually typically don't like these style of games. I like competitive. I like the competitive nature of board games personally. See whose strategy works out the best. But every once in a while, I'm up for a co-op game. And being the right game, I actually enjoy them. And that's how I was able to make three of my top and a couple honorable honorable <laughs> mentions. Uh, but typically, you wouldn't find a lot in my collection. I was kind of looking through my collection. I think I have five, maybe out of my whole collection, which is a very small amount, but but the ones that I have here, I actually feel very strongly for. Yeah, I'm kind of a, uh, I have a very similar kind of uh, feeling about co-op games. I don't really like them very much, except a few. And the ones that I do like, I, um, I guess I have specific reasons for liking them, which we'll get into, but... Yeah. I've played, um, I used to actually not like co-ops at all. Like I just thought no co-op games are good uh, at all until I played actually one of the games on my list. So one of the games on my list made me like co-ops. Oh, um, interesting. So that's kind of interesting. Um, so there's a few that I like and um, yeah, we'll get into it. I guess. All right, let's do it. Number three. Um, my number three is Space Alert. I'm not sure if we've done this list before, actually, because I remember talking about it, so I'm not going to talk about it too long, but basically it's a real-time game, um, and you're trying to fly a ship and destroy aliens that are attacking you. And uh, the real-time aspect of the game is very interesting because there's a kind of a soundtrack, and actually there's audio cues of, uh, kind of aliens attacking you and like events happening I guess uh, 
in the ship and you're trying to run around inside the ship uh basically imagine like a ship with like six rooms i think it is or maybe seven rooms i can't remember exactly how it works uh the theme is very silly you're trying to like one of the actions you can do is actually move the mouse so there's uh, the ship doesn't go into like a screensaver mode or something i can't remember the consequence <laughs> oh no that's just like uh you just have to do it i think to not fail or something if i remember correctly uh other things you can do that are more i mean less funny are like fire the weapons reload the weapons there's a mechanism to reload the weapons uh do the like some shield management as well like charge shields and uh, there's a main reactor where you can charge the main reactor uh we never really played the advanced levels of the game but the advanced levels of the game actually have uh uh androids walking around inside the ship and i think there's intruders as well so you're trying to also fight aliens that are like boarding your ship <laughs> so uh you're doing all of this through playing cards and the cards uh, get resolved kind of at the end in a movie-like fashion. Actually, there's a an application, I think, or something that creates your movie of what actually happened. Uh, but in the game, you just basically go through the cards uh, slowly. And uh, because basically you're hoping that something is happening as you're playing the cards, but at the end, you actually see what actually happened. Uh, and usually someone made a mistake or something and like people are doing nonsensical stuff and it's funny but yeah that's uh space alert and i really like it it's a really cool game kind of branches the uh real-time co-op uh areas which there's not many games that are real-time co-op that i like fuse is another one i guess but fuse is a very simple game space alerts kind of more complicated but it still works really well and i think it has a really good sense of humor as well did you talk about this uh, maybe on a list that we did called gimmick games that actually work oh yeah yeah, yeah. yep that that sounds about right yep. okay i was hoping we hadn't done co-ops before but I don't yeah think we it's have. uh yeah um the gimmick is i guess the real-time element but yeah it's a really good game i think cool yeah i still need to play this one uh it's a CGE game, too, and yep. I typically like their games. Okay, uh, my number three is Australia with a Z from 2008 from Martin Wallace and Stronghold Games. You might be thinking, isn't this a competitive game? Uh, well, it has a, a co-op mode, and let me explain why I would prefer the co-op mode. So I actually recently played this again. In fact, I played this several times. It was my 11th time playing it, although I had played it solo a few times as well. So the game has this time element to it. So what are you doing in the game? You're in Australia. You you are like generals, I guess, of a, of a military trying to take care of old ones. Old ones is like from monsters from HP Lovecraft mythos. And they're face down on these... Uh, these hexes which make up the board of australia and you're building routes so it's like a route building game and you can lay down farms as well which going to give you gold and give you two points at the end of the game if the monsters don't come and destroy your farms which they are attracted to that's what they're going to move toward is the closest farm or your port which is where you start your route building from you can get cards which allow you to uh, have some benefits but mainly you're going to be getting units, military units, like, like an armored car or infantry or a zeppelin. 
and you're going to before battle choose which units go in and then you are going to fight them fighting them i found to be an interesting system of cards so you flip a card and you see what units you have in uh you look at the monster you're fighting and if there's units of that type that you have in on the left side that means you do a damage to them and if on the right side they will either have a hit to you that you decide where to go unless it's your zeppelin then it has to go in your zeppelin or you lose sanity and if you lose a certain amount of sanity then you are going to lose the battle lose anybody that's damaged otherwise you could pull out so it's kind of this press your luck game happening uh the time elements you're going to be doing certain actions like building farms and building your route and getting units and certain things and you're going to be putting cubes on the actions that you're taking so then when you were going to take that action again you have to pay gold to take that action again to the equal equal to the amount of cubes that are on it so if you want to take an action several times you're gonna to have to pay a lot of gold to do it um and you that everything is going to take time either one to three time and you have this time track that you're going on in the beginning of the game it's just you and your uh, fellow players taking the time back and forth whoever's last on the time track is who goes first and if you're piled up on each other then whoever's on top so there is opportunity to take like a one time go on top of everybody now you could take another turn however if you take a longer time like if you take a three time action then you're waiting quite a bit for your turn because if everyone is taking shorter amount of time on their turn they're going to pile up then pile onto the next spot pile up and then on top of you pile up and then pile off of you then it's your turn so we're talking like four five maybe six rounds of turns before it gets to your your turn and there's not a lot of planning that could happen there's not a lot of strategy i mean you kind of take your action and then you very quickly know what you're going to do afterward and then i found myself in this most recent game we were playing um competitively sort of walking away from the game board because i'm like i'm, I'm getting kind of bored it's not that interesting to see people build routes and such but when i play this game co-op so it's you're getting points for like i said your farms but also for the monsters that you defeated and if i come and i do one damage to a monster and someone else comes in and does four damage to a monster and kills it we split points evenly and if it it can be split evenly it's split evenly no matter how many cubes how many that you put on it so i put one cube priesto puts five cubes and he kills the monster and it's a, for four points, I get two points, he gets two points. Now, if it's five and he has more cubes than me, then he'll get three points and I get two points. But in a co-op game, all the points are shared and you're going against the old ones. Now, the old ones are going to get points whether you're playing a co-op game or a competitive game. The way they get points is, like I said, they're all face down. They come face up if when you start fighting them. And at the end of the game for all the face up monsters you're going to get face value for what they are and for the face down you're going to get double and then they're going to get points for each blighted farm so that's a lot of points for the old ones so even in a, a competitive game the old ones could win so in a co-op game your points are all pooled together against the old ones and i find that way more interesting because every turn is now discussed and 
if I'm watching you fight a monster, I have investment in it. I want you to win that battle. So I'm there watching. It adds more excitement to everyone else's battle. My preferred way to play this game is co-op two-player because the time track doesn't matter so much and it's just a much quicker moving game. We played a four-player competitive game. It took two and a half hours. There's a lot of other games I would rather play in that time frame than this particular one. So... Uh, with some caveat there, that's my number three, but I would say personally, co-op at two-player Australia. Yeah, it's an interesting game. I think it works well, but uh, the system is just pretty weird, actually. Uh, it's like a train game, and it kind of breaks into these kind of top-decking battles in a way. Uh, very strange, but it works. It works very well. Yeah, if you heard the name Martin Wallace and are interested because of that, I would check it out first because it doesn't feel like a Martin Wallace game at all to me. Yeah. Number two. My number two is Legends of Andor. Um, I might have mentioned this game before as well. Uh, kind of a family level uh co-op game um, you might think family level is like pandemic or something um, not really like pandemic I'd say but uh, yeah, a very hard game to describe actually the only game that I've seen that uses that kind of system of basically the whole map is covered with arrows and things move around the arrows oh actually there's a couple of games one is called uh, Defenders of the Realm or Defenders of the Last Stand which I actually also really kind of liked uh, that's another weird co-op game that I just don't have someone else had it and no one in our group is interested in those kind of games but I would kind of play that game again if I saw it somewhere um but it's very dice rolly and kind of um, co-op <laughs> so not two combinations that our group doesn't really like so much uh the other one is actually lords of hellas i think uh has a the co-op game is very similar because the army invades in a very kind of preset pattern on the back of the board i don't think i've uh, i actually haven't played that one before so i don't know if it works similarly but legends of vandor is a game with multiple scenarios where you set up the scenarios and you're supposed to accomplish something in a very kind of generic fantasy setting and the way enemies move is along these arrows which the board is divided into regions and the regions are all connected and the arrows end up in this castle which um actually oddly enough for a game that i like so much i've only played like five scenarios i think and um, uh, the scenarios kind of are different. So some of the scenarios might be like you have to defeat monsters. Some of the scenarios are pick up and deliver. Your heroes have these powers that they can do. And uh, uh, the game is kind of very uh, gamey, so to speak, uh, because every scenario has its like quirks of maybe avoiding monsters, not really fighting them. Uh, the fighting, I think, had some luck in it, if I remember correctly. Gosh, it's been such a long time that I can't even remember how the fighting worked, but I think it had a die or cards involved or something. Um, anyway, I just really kind of liked the, uh, even though it's generic kind of fancy setting, the setting was really cool. Uh, I really like that system of actually uh, territories with arrows between them, uh, where things are going to be moving so you can kind of pre-plan a lot 
and kind of see you think about what's going to happen uh, if things move a certain way or if things spawn somewhere or whatever or just given the situation i think more games probably need that system i think it's a really cool system and uh yeah i've had a lot of fun playing that game i probably should just uh, play it even if it's solo i think it might be a game that works really well solo even though technically i don't think solo is a, a thing but uh, basically any co-op game is solo in my opinion you just play like two-handed two-player or something and there's nothing hidden in that game so it should work just fine so unless i find someone to play maybe i'll just play it through by myself that's legends of andor kind of an older game now it came out maybe more than five years ago for sure 2012 uh, very kind of german actually um, i think it's uh, for a while, it was out only on in Germany, and I think it got translated and it uh, got published in English. I think it's not as popular in the U.S., but I think it's more popular in Germany, if I remember correctly. But pretty fun game, I think, and kind of an exception. Usually, I don't like kind of lighter co-ops, so to speak, and that's not that light, but it's on the lighter side. So that's that's that. Yeah, it you know it says BGG says two to four players, but the community says one to four. <laughs> That's hilarious. So people are just like, whatever. You don't need two people. No, there's nothing hidden in the game, and like I don't know why. <laughs> like you might as well play with one if you can play with two you know what i mean i mean you can uh, play you two just, different characters you just control right? two characters yeah. maybe that's why they didn't officially want you to do it because like oh you're not one character you're two characters so i don't know it doesn't matter in my opinion i've never played this game i just uh never had an opportunity to and never had it on my radar but the board looks really nice like i really like the art on yeah. the board yeah, the art is really awesome. It just like really pulls you in, in my opinion, at least. I would definitely play this. I would be interested. All right. My number two, if you've listened to the show previously, might not be a surprise that it's on my list. Marvel Champions, the card game from Fantasy Flight 2019. It's Fantasy Flight's LCG uh, Marvel game, which is um, a living card game. Which just means that um, little expansions for it are always coming out to add to the game or change the game a little bit. Anyway, uh, what you're doing is you're cooperatively playing as Marvel superheroes defeating a Marvel supervillain. And the way you're doing that is you're trying to balance getting him some damage and at the same time trying to thwart his evil scheme. So you're kind of trying to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to hit him and try to kill him and get closer to winning the game or take care of, of thwarting these schemes, which... If they don't get thwarted enough, you know, if they get if if they're uh, happening, then then it's going to trigger something really bad for everybody. I really like the card play in this, where you're paying for cards with other cards. I always like that in games, and in this one, it, that creates really tough decisions where you have some cards that you might be saving, but you need to play this card now, so you got to diss this card as a resource because the cards have different resource icons on them. And then cards to be played will ask for resources. Um, feels a little engine building if you're playing certain characters because there's a lot of cards that could go down. You could play um, kind of like superheroes down there. It's going to help you out. So you kind of tap them on your turn and things happen. Uh, feels very thematic, but also challenging. And 
I got into this thinking that I would just have the base box and I ended up buying a whole bunch of stuff for it. And I have a very small community of players, uh, two players that I play with. And I think it's really actually best at lower player count. I think it goes up to four, but I would be hesitant. I played it once at four and it just kind of drags. Three is kind of the top that I would play it at. Two might even be better, but I like the, the two guys that I'm playing with. So it's a lot of fun just playing cards. We get to geek out about Marvel superheroes because we're all into the comic books and the movies. So that's why it's my number two, even though I haven't played it since the pandemic. Uh, I'm really looking forward to keep to keep playing it. We are playing once a week. So that is Marvel Champions, the card game. I'm guessing Hristo has nothing to say about it because he's never played it <laughs> and probably doesn't yeah. have too much interest in it anyway. No, not really. I see you guys constructing decks for it once in a while and it looks okay, but not really my thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't really care for LCGs. I, I got my tonsils removed not too long ago when I got into Arkham Horror, the LCG just to have something to do while I was healing that I could play by myself. And then as soon as I got better, I kind of stopped playing it. And I was like, nah, I'm good on LCGs. Really what brought me into this was Marvel. So if you're not like a Marvel fan, I don't know why you would get into this. Like there's, it's not that amazing of a, of a game, to be honest. It's just really cool and thematic. Number one. All right. The number one game that actually is the game that got me kind of into co-ops is Spirit Island. I really kind of played co-ops before, like Pandemic and Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Island, whatever. Uh, I never really um, kind of appreciated co-ops until i played spirit island for some reason and that kind of got me interested in co-ops again because um i was just kind of it seemed like all the co-ops i was playing um, a lot of them were basically just down to luck and uh not much planning possible maybe i was playing the wrong co-ops to begin with but that's a different story uh, also, the co-ops I was playing and even Pandemic, I think, can be prone to a lot of kind of... Um, uh, you can discuss, but I feel like there should be... There's like a clear thing to do uh, most of the time. Or maybe it's not super clear, but then it's a 50-50 and basically you kind of don't care what you do. Uh, you know, So as a group, I think you kind of come to a consensus, ideally. And those games are not really my super favorite to play just because um if there's multiple people there and it's kind of obvious and everything's out in the open what should be done i mean you might as well play by yourself i think and just kind of see what happens you know what i mean like it's kind of fun to think about i guess uh, i mean to talk about uh, decisions in co-ops uh, in sometimes but ultimately if you're like seriously playing it um it kind of doesn't matter to have more people versus just one person playing. Um, then it actually might be better with fewer people or just one. Uh, Spirit Island kind of is different because the game is very complicated. And um, every you, sp you play these spirits, uh, basically it's kind of a weird 
anti-colonial theme, I guess, because you're spirits and you're defending this island uh, in its native population against these invaders. They never say who they are, but they're invaders. I guess they have like uh, opponents of kingdoms in Europe, but it's kind of a weird like there's even like lore and alternate history um not really real history i think so there's these like made up histories of uh, invaders invading or semi made up i guess the the your your island and the island has magical spirits uh living on it as well which live in harmony with the native population and basically together you play as the spirits um you can kind of influence the native population which is basically these like ponds that you move around or uh, huts i guess on the island and they you can kind of mostly indirectly actually fight against the invaders sometimes you can fight them directly but a lot of the powers are kind of defend powers so they initiate these kind of conflicts in territories against the native population and if you can defend the natives the natives actually fight back uh, if you can't defend them, they usually die very quickly and not not good. So what makes Spirit Island kind of unique is, like I say, uh, every spirit has a deck. And it's kind of a deck building game, actually. Uh, you build out your deck. The game starts very simple. You can usually play only one or two cards in the very few s first turn. Uh, but then it ramps up and you build your deck as you play the game. So at the beginning of the game, you have only, I think, two or three cards or even four cards. Uh, you slowly acquire more and more cards and you can do more powerful things. You pay for cards with energy and you start generating with a lot more, more and more energy. And the cool thing in the game is the synergies that kind of come up between the spirits uh, I feel like if someone got to know the game really well, they could kind of work with each other a lot. And even accidentally, things uh, just kind of happen where there's a lot of cards that help the other spirits or there's these like uh, basically elements that you can play, which are parts of cards. Um, kind of kind of uh, complicated to explain. Basically, the, the, the cards have effects on them, but they also have these icons. And if you play icons, you might get some other things that you can do. Uh, basically, they're these kind of icons that are uh, on for the rest of the round. So there's a lot of kind of synergies between effects. Uh, you can give someone ener energy. You can make them pick up a card. They can give you elements that you need. So there's a lot of kind of like things like that. And uh, what makes the game, like I say, uh, very cool is uh, I don't think just because it's so complex, one person can really say what the best thing to do is. I think everyone just kind of... You can talk about general concepts, like, I I don't know, can you give me uh, energy? Can you do this here? Can you do that here? Can you defend here? Whatever. But in terms of exactly what you should play, I think it's every person's decision individually. And it makes for a really kind of cool game uh also you kind of see where the invaders are going to be building and attacking uh two or three turns in advance so there's a lot of planning that goes into it as well uh so uh, kind of a very clever and elaborate game uh it does take a 
good bit of time to play because of it and it's kind of complicated to explain to uh, newer people and i think it might be overwhelming to people who just got into board gaming because it's there's a lot of stuff going on but that's why i like it actually because it's kind of a bigger and more complicated co-op game and that's spirit island uh it almost it's almost like an area control actually uh it's like deck building with area control uh co-op which is not I guess pandemic is kind of area control in a way, but not in the same way. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the great part about this game is that there's no alpha gaming, right? I mean, I remember yeah. playing it and uh, basically I was like kind of doing a commentary on what I was going to do. And then someone was like, I'm actually about to, I'm going to take care of this spot very easily on my turn now. Okay, cool. Then I'll take care of this. Uh, very light discussions. I think that's why... I typically don't like co-op games is because I don't want to sit around talking about what we're going to do. I'd rather just do it. And that yeah. this kind of takes care of that. Although I don't like the game. I think it's a great game. It had, there's nothing against the game. I think it's awesome. And I used to have this like spiel of like, I would have exactly why I don't like the game. I don't remember. I don't care to explain myself. I just don't like it. There's a lot of cards to know, I guess, but you just kind of take it as you go, I think. Yeah. You can't really know all the cards. Yeah, I don't think that was what difficult. bugged me about it. I think what bugged mm. me about it was the time. I think it took a lot of time, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to take so much time to see if all of us win or all of us lose. Um, yeah, it can yeah. go It can go on for a while, yeah, but that's just kind of how it is. But it's a neat game. It, it's uh, It definitely deserves this list. All right, my number one is Exit the Game, the escape room games from Cosmo, uh, Cosmos, just the the just the whole series in general. I really like Exit the Game. In fact, I thought that I liked Unlock the best out of these style games because I like the I like the art on the cards and it felt a little more thematic. But the more I played Exit, the more this rose to my the top of these style of games. And they're done cooperatively. You're all trying to to beat this puzzle together. Um, I really like the kind of arts and crafts feel to it. You're cutting stuff up and folding things. And I really like that a lot. It feels like this hands-on, you're doing a project together. Um, as of other ones, other escape room games are, are just sort of like flip a card and, and stare at it. Um, I mean, this has those elements to it too, but you're trying to figure out basically combination of numbers because there's this really cool little wheel where if you get the combination right, it'll tell you the next card to pull. And there's a little booklet that you'll be looking at, maybe cutting up as well. Uh, I really I really enjoy these. I always have a fun time playing them. They're usually pretty quick. I mean, there's a timer on it, so it's usually going to take you an hour or less if you're if you succeed. You can go over the time, and it'll just like kind of minus points from you for at the end of the game. I think my favorite of the series so far has been the Secret Lab, which I ha I enjoyed playing a lot. Some of them, if they're really high in difficulty, they could be really difficult, and then sometimes if they're low in difficulty, they could be really really easy. That seems pretty obvious, but <laughs> <laughs> when you're playing them, um, I just find that the the easy ones are too easy and the complex ones are a little too complex. But like 
secret lab for existence for example like it's right in the middle and it just seems it just feels perfect um enough fun and you you feel smart because you're figuring out all these things and then the more difficult ones uh catacombs that was one of them that had a (laughs) two-parter and we ended up playing it um the two parts back to back and it felt a little too much too much exit the game for me and it had some weird thing where i had to turn off the lights i won't get into it no spoilers there but it does come with a candle so you'll know that right when you unbox it that you'll probably have to use that candle uh that that i still kind of enjoyed that as well it was just really tough and uh you can get clues in this game and the clues i think work fine but overall it's just always like a really fun experience and i'm always up for for exit it's one of those things where uh our board gaming group we're kind of deciding what to play we have about an hour left and somebody's like i could just buy an exit game and that's always worked so that's why it's my number one exit the game yeah, I know what you mean about getting the difficulty right because in those kind of games it always feels like something is impossible until you actually solve it and then it's easy. So it's, yeah. it's kind of like really tough to make something that doesn't feel impossible but also doesn't feel easy, uh, just kind of right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, a lot of the times in those exit games, um, I've done things with puzzles that I'm like just like doing things and like I, I don't i really don't think this is gonna work out and i really don't think this is the right thing to do but um i thought of it so let's just try it and some of those have actually worked out which is just like really weird to me it's kind of like the yeah. designers getting in your head yeah it's yeah. just kind of like uh there's no way that i could have predicted that this would actually work out there was something with flags i think in the the lab uh, exit if i remember correctly which we were just like there's no way it's this but it ended up being that so yeah it's just kind of <laughs> it's kind of weird when that happens uh yeah but i agree some of them can be just really impossible and also really kind of even when you see the solution you're just like okay i don't know about this thing here uh catacombs unfortunately had a lot of that i think even after seeing the solution to some of the puzzles i was just like okay that's just kind of maybe too much um but usually exit games actually have felt pretty like fair as far as uh the puzzles go i think the puzzles feel like they were possible after seeing the solutions in general in general i should mention the designers it's inca and marcus brand uh, I really like them as 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 designers, and I think they do every single one of them. Maybe yeah, there's a one or two, maybe, but I I don't know. I haven't seen one that hasn't been them. So, and there's a lot of them. All right, so some honorable mentions. Do you have some honorable mentions, Risto? Um, I guess I should say Hanabi. I didn't really put it on the list because it's kind of an acquired taste game, and I don't think um, everyone likes it. And even me, like, I have to play it with people who have played it before because uh, I play a certain way. So it's a weird game, basically. Uh, Actually, there's a game like it, which might be kind of more interesting if you like theme, uh, which I can't remember. Baker Street, something Baker (laughs) Street. Baker Street, Street. yeah, yeah, something Baker Street. Not Not 21B or 221B because that's a different game. Beyond Baker Street, I think, is what it's called. Just Beyond Baker Street? Yeah. Anyway, Baker it's Street basically Hanabi with a theme and kind of easier uh, and faster. 
the other one is Magic Maze. Um, I think I've talked about that uh, as a real-time gimmicky game as well. Uh, really, really good co-op game, but kind of on a little bit towards the family level of things. And uh, the other three I just like more, but Magic Maze is a really solid game that I will never refuse to play pretty much. I always enjoy playing Magic Maze. Uh, and uh, there's some expansions, actually, which we need to try for it as well. Uh, it's a really cool game. Yeah, Magic Maze is super fun. Um, so I have a couple honorable mentions here. The first one is Fuji. Um, that is from Wolfgang Warsh. It's uh, kind of a weird game that i just uh, not going to go into. But basically, you're rolling dice and trying to come up with certain dice numbers that other people don't have and you're trying to work with uh, limited information to try to move away from a volcano that's erupting and you're all trying to get out of the Mount area. Mount Fuji, I think. It right? is Mount Fuji, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's erupting. Uh, very interesting, very weird game and it just kind of um, it just kind of worked for me when I when I looked into the game and read the rules, I, I was kind of unsure about it. But then in practice, I was like, this is pretty neat. It's pretty, pretty uh, interesting. I hadn't played anything like it. So that's definitely an honorable mention for me. And then another a weird honorable mention, and it's not because of the game itself. It's because I'm having an honorable mention that I've never played. Um, Kitchen Rush. <laughs> so I have I it. it. I own it and I've read the rules for it. I just haven't played it yet. But reading the rules and hearing everybody talking about it uh, sounds like a game I'll really enjoy where you're just like moving these sand timers. It's real time and cooking stuff and trying to get stuff out all together. Um, also, I'm kind of mentioning this as well because I think that it would have been on Justine, Justine's list, if not Justine and Matt's list. So I'm trying to include them while they're not here. Because I really do think that they would mention it. But it looks really cool, and the rules sound really good for it. You've actually played it too, right, Riso? Yeah, yeah, I played it just once. I thought it was fine. Um, nothing really spectacular in my opinion, but I'm just not huge on the cooking games in general. I'm sure if it was some kind of sci-fi theme, I would like it a lot more. Uh, just kind of the theme of cook cooking and like acquiring ingredients from the market and like washing plates or whatever those are the things you can do basically in the games <laughs> that's what the sand the sand timers are for it was just kind of meh to me but uh the game mechanically is just fine um pretty cool it works very well it kind of reminds me of those mobile games where there's customers showing up and you're trying to like serve them and pick up the dishes uh you're just kind of in the kitchen i guess so you're trying to make the food for them but yeah uh pretty good translation of those kind of games into tabletop formats a lot of craziness with like touching things on the boards and there's like tactile things like uh, when you go shopping there's a bag and you have to like in real time look through the bag and stuff and there's a lot of like silly stuff like that but it works very well uh, i wanted to say about fuji a uh, very weird game but i really like it actually maybe we should play it again sometime uh i i think i taught it at SaltCon, if i remember correctly or maybe i just explained the rules at SaltCon to some people and they were like very confused and i think a lot of people just kind of don't really get that game which is kind of really weird but it's a very unique game where yeah you're trying to like not match dice with your neighbors 
without knowing exactly what you have. The only downside that I have about that game is it can be kind of dice rolly. Basically, you're, sometimes it comes down to, well, I'm just going to re-roll and hopefully I don't clash with my neighbor, but there's only so many re-rolls you can do, and if you clash, you clash, and it's bad. But uh, So there's some luck there, but uh, the game is pretty cool. The concept is really, really interesting. Um, I don't know how thematic it is, like with the whole theme of like you're trying to escape as fast as possible, <laughs> but let me just sit here and think for five minutes about not clashing with you yeah. so it can be on different spaces. <laughs> like It doesn't make sense, but uh the theme aside is not working really well. I think the game concept is really cool and it works well. Yeah, I like the art in it. Uh, you're a fan of this artist as well, right? Yeah, yeah. The art yeah. is really cool as well. Um, what if Kitchen Rush was hospital themed? Would you like that? Theme uh, yeah. Isn't there a game basically already made or something? Actually, I'm thinking of Dice Hospital or something. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. It's a follow up to Kitchen Rush. Is Rush MD? So same concept, but you're uh, you're you're in a hospital. Um, I don't know. Um, maybe we should try it and see. Sure. But yeah, yeah. I don't think it's it quite out. Sounds yet, interesting. But yeah. Um, I, maybe I want like also a, a more serious game. Those games, uh, even the art that they choose, it reminds me too much of those apps, and the apps are just kind of very cartoony and generic. Um, I almost want to want like a more serious game, like uh, actually Project Elite is what comes to mind mm -hmm. with real-time games, uh, something that's just kind of not cartoony and not super like family-friendly, I guess. I see. But yeah, maybe I'm that wishing for too much. All right, well, that's our show. You can visit our website at www.cardsandcubes.com. You can email us at cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme, Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more art from Kirsten at Instagram, catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. -E. Cards and Cubes is a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts from the Pod Cauldron Network, like... Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, and Rabble, 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 a comedic look at current events. Find those wherever you get podcasts. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>